Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Man, isn't that what we want to hear from the local director of a senior home? I couldn't get in my office because of what a local church is giving to our people. Isn't that what we want to hear? I mean, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. I love what God is, how God is using this church and how God's using Corey and all who work with him to change this area. And may the Lord increase it. May the Lord just continue to increase it. Baby, it is cold out there. Isn't that a song? I'm not going to sing it. It is cold. Let me see. Look at my magical watch. 28 degrees and foggy. I got up this morning and watched television where our sister church is in Midland, Odessa. It's minus three in Amarillo, Texas. Just thank Jesus you don't live there right this minute. It's minus 13. They're getting that, the, front, the front edge, I guess, of that Arctic blast. It is cold. I drove in from Alexandria this morning. Roads are great. Local, local authorities did wonderfully until we got on some county roads, and then we were skiing. But it's cold out there. There are people watching this broadcast from all over the world. We want to tell you, if you're sitting in the sun, if you're drinking something cold, we envy you. It's cold. In fact, images are going through my brain this morning of the movie Frozen, of uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, under the White Witch, where everything's frozen. Even in spring, there's snow and ice. Hold those images in your head, because that's what I'm going to be alluding to during the sermon today. I want to talk to you uh, in the sermon today, in our teaching, about love. And I want to talk to you a little bit about my challenge with love. Now, I'm a little bit nervous, because Pastor Brett asked me to speak today on Valentine's Day, and that wouldn't be a big deal, except that he asked me to speak last year on Valentine's Day. He knows I'm not the doctor of love, and so what's going on? What's going on? He's sneaky. I know. He's got a plan. The Lord's got a plan. Something's going on here. I feel a little bit of a setup, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and come with it and, and come out of my own story. When I began to make that progression to Jesus, when I was unsaved and began to make that progression towards Jesus, I remember very clearly that, you know, the, 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 big, the big ministers on, on the national stage at that time, Billy Graham or Roberts, uh, D. James Kennedy, others, that, that, and, and then, of course, the, the people closer on the street, you know, street preachers and, and, and folks in the ministries and the churches that I, I would check into. Um, what excited me the most was that there was a Jesus who loved me and wanted to have a relationship with me. And you, you in the same place? That got me fired up. The fact is, you know, I hadn't had a horrible background, but a little lonely military brat moving around the world. And, and the idea that there was a Jesus who loved me and wanted to have a relationship with me, which is what all of the preachers told me, excited me. And then, what, and following on on that, what began to excite me also was that he would put the same love he had for me inside of me so that I could love others. Now, that got me fired up. Not that I was a cold-hearted person, but I knew that I had a problem with love. Probably I'm the only one on the planet who has ever had a problem in that department. You know what I'm saying? Just being, being a little sarcastic here. We all are challenged in that regard. I knew there were people that I naturally loved. And then I knew there were people that I did not love and in fact wished would fall off the planet. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who lived with that kind of thinking in my head? I mean, I just, there were people I didn't love. And when I became a believer, and I read in the scriptures that I'm supposed to love my enemies, well, I grew up in a military, athlete kind of culture 
Well, you don't love your enemies. You take them out, right? You don't love your enemies. You make them hurt. And so what I wanted to do was love Jesus and make my enemy suffer in Jesus' name. I mean, that's, that's, that's the weird thing I probably had going on in my head. I mean, I know I was supposed to love. I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew he promised to put the love he had for me in me so it flowed to others, but it wasn't, this wasn't happening naturally. This wasn't something that I naturally understood. And I had the whole system of our frozen world to confirm some of the things that I was tempted to do and tempted to feel, right? The whole world focused on payback and hate and bitterness and who you love and who you don't and who's in your tribe and who's not. The whole world reinforcing these old messages in my head. And let me tell you the tension that I was living in. And I'll eventually get to the scripture, which is, which is the keynote of my, my talk. Uh, first of all, I knew the truth of Romans 5 and verse 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Romans 5 and verse 5 is a great verse, one that we believe, one we celebrate, one we say thank God about. We, we worship him for this because it says... And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Hallelujah. What great news that the love of God has been poured into our hearts, that we have an inner tank full of the love of the living God. This is good news, especially for somebody like me, and I'm sure many of us who wrestled in my early life with the, where does the love come from? How do I produce the love? I would, I would, I would kind of, you know, try to force it out. Come on, love. Come on, get out. Let, let flow towards that person that I really just want to punch in the nose. You, you know, that kind of a battle. But it was good news. There's a tank on the inside of me, my heart, my spirit, that is filled with the love of God according to Romans 5. This was great news. This is what I wanted to know. It's what I wanted to live. It's one of the things that drew me to Jesus, that he loved me and could make me loving. He loved me and could make me loving. That was exciting. I had a good home life, but I was raised kind of like by a military commander, a father, a loving mother. But, 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 but to, to make me loving, we, I didn't think of any of us as being, I mean, I knew we loved each other, but to be people who were loving people, I wouldn't say that was, that was 100% truer than just within our family. What about other folks, especially moving around the world, constantly a new tribe? We loved who we were close to, who we moved with. Other people were sort of out there and bless them, and, and I hope they're doing well, and maybe we'll have some of them to dinner kind of attitude. So the love of God in my heart. Here's my problem. I was stuck between this scripture, between the truth that the love of God is shut abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5, 5, and 1 Corinthians 13. Because 1 Corinthians 13 brings this down home. It's all fine to say, thank you, Lord, for the love of God shut abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this big, huge thing you've done in my heart. It's a whole different thing when 1 Corinthians 13 describes the specific ways I ought to behave because love is in my life. That pinches a little bit because here's what it says. Love is patient. See, I was happy 
when I was told the love of God shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. But when I'm told that love is patient, there's a gap between what's potential and what my experience is. Because I want everyone who puts one crouton at a time on a salad as a salad bar to be arrested and hauled off to prison. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want everybody who drives like a fool on the roads, I want them to suffer. You, you, you know what I mean. Patient, patient. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the love of God shed abroad in my heart. Patient, that's, that, that's just the first word. Love is, love is kind. Love is kind to the opposite political party. Love is kind on the roads, even Highway 66. Love is kind. You see where I'm getting pinched? Oh, I got a big tank of love. And then when I have to be specific about how I walk that out, it hurts, there's a pinch. Well, that's not all. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. Does not boast. Yow. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I can't watch a half an hour TV without being angered and throwing something at it. You follow what I mean? Come on, there are things that tick us off, right? But that's, this is the specifics of what love is. It keeps no record of wrongs. I've been blessed with a good memory because of what I'm called to do, being a student of history, a teacher of things, and so on. Well, it works against me sometimes because I can remember what happened on the playground in 1959. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I was alive that long ago. I was two, but I was alive in 1950. I can remember what Rick Koenig did to me in that neighborhood. I can. I've forgiven him, but I obviously haven't forgotten his name or how much it hurt. Downside of a gift. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So see, I had the classic Christian conundrum. Thrilled and celebrating the big, fat, huge Christmas present kind of things that God has given us. A little less happy when I see what that ought to produce in my life. Love of God shut abroad in my heart. Don't be rude. Love of God shut abroad in my heart. Be patient. Love of God shut abroad in my heart. Don't be angry. On and on and on. At salad bars, on the road, with that family member who's on your last nerve. You follow what I mean? That's where it comes down. So how do I bridge the gap between these two? That's what's bugging me. Throughout my Christian life, I believe everything that we're told we have, an anointing from the Holy One, the Holy Spirit living within us, Jesus loving us, all that I believe. How do I walk it out in the nitty-gritty of life? And I don't just want to do it as a grind. I'm told that there's a power in me that helps me do that. There's, a, there's something from God. The same God Jesus has for me, he's going to have through me if I'll figure out how to bridge the two. How do I create the conduit? What do I do to get the love of God that's in me working through me so I drive differently? So I don't assault people at salad bars. So I don't, whatever it might be in your life. We all have stuff. We all have stuff that lights us up. And I, I, I came one day on this scripture, which is the key. And as I'm talking about loving people, 
And as, and as Pastor Brett obviously thinks I'm the doctor of love here, I'm going I'm to bring to you what it is that, that, that has helped me in this and then a few follow-on things. And before I'm done, I'm going to talk about what's going on in our society and how essential it is that we learn this lesson right here. Because in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, I'll probably just begin in verse 4, it bridges the gap. There's a truth here that bridges the gap between the Spirit of God on the inside of me that gives me the love of God and the actual ethical performance, behavior ways I'm meant to live. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I'm going to let Brett break that one out because it's, it's hard, and then pastor needs to do that. I'm going to go on with the first five and take the easy side of this verse. Brett comes back from sabbatical. I'll tell him, you got to preach that because I set you up. <laughs> verse five, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Now, if you can mark your digital Bible or you can write in your Bible, you probably want to underline that verse. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That verse gives me gives all of us the pipeline between the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5, 5, 5 and verse 5, and the actual outworking of it in our daily practical, ethical, behavioral lives, a la 1 Corinthians 13. Because it tells us that what causes the love of God to flow is that we obey his word. In fact, there's a word here that, that we ought to break out, and frankly, we ought to know in this church particularly, and that's the word in English, perfected. I'm not sure what it says in what Bible you're using. I'm using the NIV. But the word there is teleu in its root. Sometimes it, it takes many forms in the New Testament, telestai, teleos, other things. And basically, it means to its destined purpose, to the reason it was created. You, you see the, at, the, at the beginning of that word tele, it's where we get telephone, telegraph, etc. It, it means something that is sent to a destination, something that is uh, sent to its purpose, the purpose it was designed for. So, so what we're being told here is that when we obey God's word, the love of God is allowed to fulfill the purpose for which it was given. In fact, I was talking to Telus about this because you probably already figured out that Telus's name is connected to this Greek word, his parents being smart people. Now, I will tell you, I asked Telus what he had been, this morning in the green room, I asked him what he had been told when he was growing up about what his name meant. And his father and parents, being good students of the word, they that they, they told him the right thing, that it had to do with completion. It had to do with destiny and purpose and a thing sent for the thing it was designed for. That's what telus means broadly. The word changes based on, you know, the different 
grammatical additions and suffixes and prefixes and all that we have to add to it. But it's basically teleu or telos or what have you. I will say, we had to have a therapeutic moment back there when Telos told me the story. I mean, I did not know that my brother suffered for the first two weeks of his life without having a name. Would you just hold his hand just for a moment and pat him, comfort him? It's a sad moment. He didn't have a ma- name for the first two weeks, probably because his parents were over, so overloaded with the 19 other children that they had, they couldn't find time. No. And finally, apparently, Pastor Brett said, dad in this case, said, well, so many things around his birth have been completed or fulfilled, then let's call and tell us. And at that point, I thought, tell us we get happy. But no, now we had to have another intervention because he told me that all through school, his you know, class list, you can imagine Tom and Fred and Joe, and suddenly it's tell us. And the kids were like, tell us a story, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so what I intended to be a happy moment did not go there. But anyway, aside from the fact that he clearly needs some healing, what I'm trying to talk to you guys about is the meaning of the name, which is that we're told here this word perfected means to fulfill its purpose, to fulfill the reason for which it was sent. We send a guy to Starbucks, he gets the Starbucks, he comes back, he has engaged in a teleu, he has fulfilled the thing for which he was sent. In a broader sense, the love of God is sent into our hearts for a certain purpose. So how does it flow? In fact, one translation actually says that if you obey his word, the love of God, watch this, is allowed to run its full course. That's what, that's, that's, that is a possible translation. But I, loving the idea of destiny and, and God's prior choosing, would, would put in there allowed to fulfill its, its true, to run its full destined course. See, God intended it for a certain thing. God sent it for a certain thing. And the Bible says, and please hear me on this, the Bible says that the feelings may not come first. The Bible says that that it could be that we've got the tank of the love of God on the inside of us, but it's the obedience, it's the doing of the word concerning those we want to love that creates the connector, the tube between the tank and the person we're trying to love. That's what allows the love to fulfill its full course. That we do the word. That we do the things we're commanded to do. That we obey the word of God concerning the people that we are attempting to love in our lives. This doesn't make it legalism. This doesn't make it duty. This doesn't make it just a bunch of do's and don'ts. This is actually good news to me. One of the things that is most pressure in certain preaching in the church is when we are told we have to feel a certain thing. I can't, I, I'm not, in, I'm not that able to produce emotions. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? To step into a church or a situation and instantly, poof, be happy. Well, you know, I'll get there but I can't instantly produce emotions. Do you follow what I'm saying? I can't instantly be loving. I can't instantly just, uh, okay, I, I just skidded all the way in from Alexandria, but now I'm supposed to be the lucky charms, you know, a happy guy uh, dancing. I'm, I'm not talking about worship. I'm talking about in my life. And so what's good news is 
that while I cannot necessarily be in charge of creating certain emotions at certain moments, especially with difficult people, I can always obey God's word. I can always speak blessing. I can always forgive. I can always be generous. I can also do, always do the practical things I'm told to do. And the Bible makes a covenant with us and says, you do that and the love of God will flow to its destined purpose. That's exciting to me. Because it gives me a role in something that otherwise feels outside of my control. Do you follow what I'm saying? I, I can't make myself love ISIS. I can't make myself love the Klan. I can't make myself love whatever wacko groups are going on around the world. You know what I'm talking about. Can't make myself love the unlovely, so to speak. I can't, I can't, I can't force that. But I'm told in the Bible that there's a force inside of me that will love through me from God. What's the key? What's the thing that flips the switch? What the, what's the thing that turns the key? What's the thing that creates the tube between the tank and the object of, my, of the love of God flowing through me? It's doing God's word. And, I, and I, you know, I should have probably known this before because if I'm going to love as Jesus loves, which is really what the love of God is all about, if I'm going to love as Jesus loves, you know, Jesus didn't walk around going from village to village, saying, I love you, and then leaving, right? In fact, we very rarely have Jesus saying to anyone, I love you. Don't, don't put it down. I'm not being uh, uh, you know, imbalanced on my doctrine. I'm saying, Jesus doesn't show up in Nazareth and go, people, I love you, and then go out to eat, right? He doesn't leave and say, well, I did my, no, what does it say? He went about doing good. He went about healing people. He went about forgiving people. He went about delivering them of their sicknesses. He went about preaching the gospel. Uh, he went about blessing them. Uh, he went about loving them. He went about welcoming children. He went about doing the works of God. And the world knew that he loved us, not only because we were told in other verses, but because Jesus was doing the acts of love and people were loved. It's why they followed him. It's why they laid down their nets by the sea and followed him, because they felt that love. It's why crowds pressed around him. He didn't just stand there and say, I love you, I love you, I love you so much. You know, God loves you. We really love you. I mean, he, I'm sure that was said at times, but we don't have much record of him doing that. What we mainly have record of him doing is doing the stuff that God had given him to do that meant love, that channeled love. You get your daughter, you get Jesus heals your daughter of a disease that threatens her life and that she's had for years. You know that God loves you at that moment. Jesus cast a demon out of you that, that has held you in bondage and made you an embarrassment and a terror to your neighbors for years. You get delivered, you know the love of God. You follow what I'm saying? It's a visceral experience of the love of God. You get filled with the spirit. You get saved. You get delivered from the fear of darkness. You get all those things that we celebrate in the songs of the book of Luke. All those things start to happen. You don't need to be told that God loves you. You're walking in the outworking of the love of God because the doing creates the channel for the force of love that God has put in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And that's how Jesus did it. In fact, I'm even going to go a little bit further just to show you the dark side of my little soul. There's a scripture that I've always kind of liked because it shows that Jesus was a little hesitant about people. 
Just a little bit. Does make you nervous? Don't be nervous. It's just a little. There's one little verse that I've always said, aha, uh-huh, see, you feel the same way about him I do. <laughs> you feel the same way about him I do. At the end of John chapter 2, you won't hear many sermons on these, this, these two verses, by the way. And the, at the end of John chapter 2, it says, but Jesus, this is after Jesus had done all kinds of miracles and, and blessed people, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, this sounds like cynical Jesus. This sounds like Jesus cautious about people. Oh, they're not really trustworthy. Ooh, I can't really. The Greek there means put my weight on them. Ooh, people are, mm, they'll betray me. But yet Jesus was wise in this way. He knew what was in people. He knew people were made of, of, uh, of glass and mud. He, 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 he knew people were flawed, and yet he loved them enough to die for them. So even though he knew people were messed up, he did the things that showed love to the world. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus knew people were a little messed up, but it didn't keep him from giving himself fully to them which tells cynical people like Stephen Mansfield that you can love people though you see their flaws. You can love people though you see their weaknesses. You can love people though they have betrayed you. You can love them uh, though though you can see. Uh, Come on, I study history. So what is that? That's the record of people being messed up and yet you still can love people and love them fully if you're willing to do the word of God. We've got to remember in this context, and then I'll move to a couple other points real quick. We, we, we've got to remember that the Bible says nothing matters. Galatians 5 6. The Bible says nothing matters except faith working by love. Nothing matters except faith working by love. That's how we love. And so once we begin to realize this, one of the things we ought to be doing. And it's a great time to talk about this on Valentine's Day. One of the things we ought to be doing is praying for the people we have the hardest time loving. Praying for the people we have the hardest time feeling love towards. Because as we pray, the Holy Spirit is able to give us that flow. First of all, praying for them is obeying God's word. And so that creates that channel for the love to flow. And so, and so, for example, the, the, here are some things I, I, I've learned to pray, for example. Uh, Psalm 7.5 7, talks about the enemy of our soul. So whenever I pray for someone, uh, those I lo- can love easily and those I'm challenged to love, I, I pray that the Lord will give them victory over the enemies of their soul. Lord, draw them to yourself and teach them how to have victory over the enemies of your soul. You see, the problem that we have, the problem I have, is that sometimes I'm too aware of the enemies of their soul, Right? If I have, I'm just making this up now, if I have a, a brother named John, I don't, but let's just say that I have a brother named John, and I know him, I know what his flaws are, I know where he's messed up, I know where he's been flawed in the past, I'm too aware of the enemies of his soul. I'm too aware of the deformities of his soul. Well, it could be that some of the insight, especially as a believer, that I have into my brother John's soul are God-given, and what am I meant to do? Use that to criticize them? How horrible that the Lord would give us insight into the souls of people that we have a hard time loving, and we then use it to criticize them even more. Instead, that insight might be so we can pray with wisdom. 
That insight might be so that we can intercede. That insight might be so that we can, we can be more specific in asking the Lord to give them victory over the enemies of their soul. They're proud, Lord, give them victory over the enemies of their soul. They're wounded, brilliant. That's a brilliant conclusion. Every human being on earth is brilliant. Some people announce the, the woundedness of other people like they're announcing some deep spiritual mystery. Everybody in Chantilly, everybody in D.C., everybody in the country is wounded in some way. Everybody in the world is wounded in some way. That doesn't take a revelation. What we need is for somebody to intercede that Jesus intervenes in their lives and sets them free. Or you can pray um, that, that they will take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of them. They have a destiny. They have a calling. They have a telus dynamic after the healing from the two weeks without a name and the years in elementary school. But anyway, a destiny, a fulfilling moment. They have something to fulfill. And this could be even part of the reason there is a battle in their life going on. Could be the one, part of the reason they are deformed, that the enemy has fought so hard against them. Maybe that's why you have a hard time loving them. I have a hard time loving them. So we pray, may they take hold of that, Philippians 3.12. May they take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of them. Or Acts 9.18, may their eyes be opened. How many times have you said of somebody, relative, whoever, you have a hard time loving or loving like you know you should, and you go, I just wish they could see. I just wish they could see what they're doing. Great. That's a good insight. That might be a Holy Spirit-given insight. So let's pray that the Lord opens their eyes. Because I have never in my life, can I make a confession? With all the great wisdom that I have, when I have seen into somebody's life, and I've said, you know what? They need their eyes open. I have never been able to guilt them, criticize them, chastise them, or argue them into having their eyes open. Never. In fact, when I try to get involved in the flesh, they actually tighten their eyes even more. Right? Come on. The folks I tried to deliver are more blind today than they were before. Because my style doesn't open eyes. It's Jesus who opens eyes. So let's pray, Acts 19, 9, 18. Lord, open their eyes. And then how about that they walk in the way chosen for them, which is basically the destiny message again. Walk in the way chosen for them. This person I have a hard time with, they're not the devil. They're not evil. They're not bad. They're not, they're not a mistake in the world. They're a person the enemy is trying to take captive and that God has a purpose for. Lord, may they walk in the way you have chosen. You see what's going to happen now? We start praying these things and stuff starts building up in our heart that counters the criticism and the negative and creates a conduit for that love of God that's shut abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now I've got to hustle on and finish. Let me tell you why this is critical that we do this today. It's not just that it's Valentine's Day. It's not just that we need to have a healing moment with Telus. It's not just, just play it. It's not just that we here in this church on this frozen Sunday morning need to be loving. It's one of the most loving churches I know. But the reason is this. I went this week to Matthew 24 and verse 12 around verse 13. You've read this verse before, but let's put it in the context of what we're talking about now, and then we'll close. It says in Matthew 24, talking about a troubled time, talking about the end of the age, at that time, many people will turn away from the faith, and they'll betray each other, and they'll hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Listen now. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, 
but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, I wish I could tell you this is talking about the broader unsaved society. I wish I could tell you this is talking about non-believers or, or other folks that we don't have to be concerned with. I wish, in other words, that I could tell you that this doesn't have to do with us. But this is talking about the household of faith. This is talking about the people of God. We're talking about people who are believing. We're talking about people who have the potential to fall away. We're talking about people who uh, listen to prophetic voices, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is the household of faith. This isn't the lost society. This isn't, in the first century sense, the Romans or people of no faith at all, which wouldn't really have been anybody. Everybody had some god or goddess they worshiped. This isn't, this isn't that crowd. This is us. And one of the reasons I reference our frozen world, all of the movie and the Chronicles of Narnia, one, one of the reasons I ref, refuge the fact, it's now risen two degrees while I've been talking, by the way, but it's still colder and I'll get out out there and there's still ice on the roads, be careful. The reason I referenced all that is that in the same way our country, the United States right now, is dealing with an Arctic blast, naturally, in terms of temperature, we are also dealing with an Arctic blast in the hearts of men and women, aren't we? Hearts are being frozen. It is the movie Frozen. Yes, I have a grandchild. I watch those movies. It is the movie Frozen. It, it, it is Chronicles of Narnia. It is a frozen time. The cold heartedness, the hatred. All, I won't go through it all, but just a week's news, the killing of people, the killing of children, the, the hatred for each other, the, the, the beating of people to death. I, I don't want to get too specific and I don't want to be political, but you know what I'm talking about. You know what we're dealing with in our time. And it's because it's as though we're living in the Chronicles of Narnia under the White Witch. The whole land hearts have become frozen. People's love is waxing cold. Why? Because of, it says because of the increase of wickedness. And let me tell you why I'm pushing this. Yes, I want you to have a, a warm and tender Valentine's Day. Yes, I want us to do more of what, we, of what Corey was describing there. I want to take more rides with him. I want to go more places. I want more directors of facilities to say, I can't even move in my office. This church is so generous. The kingdom of God is invading our space. Yes, I want all of that. But I want us also to be ready for what's coming. Because there's coldness out there. The white witch is ruling. That's a symbol for the enemy. There is a, a white witch out there. There is a, a spirit of darkness and cold and hardened hearts in the church and without. And we're going to have to be the people who exceptionally love because ultimately it's the love of Jesus hotly flowing in a frozen land, a land of frozen hearts that's going to bring the gospel powerfully to this generation. That's going to reverse this stuff. You've sat at your table, your dinner table like I have, argued politics, argued theology, tried to talk people into the truth, then tell them you love them, bless God, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about. And then nothing happens. What's going to change it is when we have the love of God flowing. And that means we're going to have to start obeying the word towards the object of God's love, towards the people who are the object of God's love. Because otherwise... We will be a people in a movement, in a church, and in a world where the love of many is waxing cold. I use the King James word, growing cold. But I'll tell you what, that director of that seniors facility, I don't know where she is spiritually. I don't know anything about her. I know everything you know, everything I know you know, which is on that video. But I bet her life is touched, even, even if she's already, her life is touched. 
She sees something. She feels something. Those people feel something. And, 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 and we can't even hug them. We can't even touch them. We can't even share a hamburger with them. They got a card. Come on, that's minimal in the kingdom of God, right? A card. And their lives are changed and touched. Imagine what can happen when the love of God is allowed to run its full course. Imagine what can happen when we get out there and we love Let's just go through some lists. The skinheads or, 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 or angry people from every political extreme or every ethnic extreme or, or, or whatever, every national extreme, every kind of insurgents and terrorists we love. I'm not saying we affirm what they do, but we love them because God has a purpose for them beyond the evil they're embroiled in. How does that come? Well, I can't love the folks who stormed our capital unless I can love in my home. Am I right? Doesn't it have to begin? Sure, I mean, doesn't, I mean, I'm having fun with Tellus this morning. Doesn't Tellus have to first forgive and, and love? I'm just playing now. And, and then he can love skinheads. Then he can love ISIS. Then he can love whatever's going on. You follow what I'm saying, whatever's going on in the world. Only then can we begin to love the unlovely. And that's when change begins to happen in a culture. If the church doesn't love, we have to stay in our silos and love each other. Right? We have to stay right here in this room and love each other and call that the gospel. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to loving the world. We're called to fulfilling our version of for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Because the second part of that is for God so loved the world that after he gave his son, he then gave his son's people to the world to love the world and set them free in the power of Jesus. That's what we're going to have to do. Nothing matters except faith working by love. Father, in the name of Jesus, on this Valentine's Day, on this frozen day when it's 30 degrees outside and cold and other parts of the country are bitterly cold, we, we see that as a metaphor of the cold, the chill, the, the, complete, the complete icing over of hearts in our world. We want to be the answer. We want to love the unlovely. We want to love those who have hurt us. We want to love those who, have, who, who offend us. And having loved those near, we want to learn to love those far. Make a difference in their lives. In Jesus' name.